Well, let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our heart be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. If you have your Bibles, um, we're going to the book of Jonah this morning, which in your pew Bibles is page 753, 753. And as you're turning there, imagine the sixth grade, the six-year-old boy who comes to the realization one day that his parents' rules and his parents' life is just way too oppressive. You know, he has to take out the trash, he has to be nice to his sister, and he has to clean his room. And so that's just way too much for him. So he goes and sits down with mom. Mom, I'm going to run away from home today. So can you help me pack my bag? I need my favorite teddy bear, I need some lunch, and I need some other things, and I'm just going to hit the open road because life out there is definitely better than life in here. It's a ridiculous scenario. Or you think about a preschool child. I don't know if you've ever tried to play hide-and-seek with a young child, but the ability to hide grows as a child grows. So like you may have a little kid that decides to hide from you by simply covering his eyes. The simple fact that you cannot see, he cannot see you means, therefore, he must not truly exist. When we think about running from God, this morning we're going to look at the book of Jonah, and the reality is the ridiculousness of the six-year-old kid and the preschooler thinking they can run away from home and survive on their own, or just simply be hidden, simply with their eyes closed, is about as ridiculous as our attempts to run from God. When we think from a spiritual standpoint, we tend to run from God all the time. God tells us to go and do something or to step up and share our faith with someone at work or to be a good example or to do all these different things, and we run. I remember in my life the situation of running that stands out the most is when I was in high school. I was a 10th grade guy and was socially awkward and kind of quiet and went to a conference, and at this conference I heard a pastor say, that I could make a difference for Jesus. And at this conference, I met an organization that helped students set up Bible study clubs on their campus. And I felt God leading me to go back to school and to set up a Bible study club. So I took a flyer, and I went home. And I began to think of all the reasons why not. God, I can't do this. I'm not smart enough. I'm not spiritual enough. I'm not whatever enough. And I attempted to bury this flyer in the midst of all the junk in a high school guy's room. Maybe if I bury this over here, God will leave me alone and this will go away. One day I came to the realization that it wasn't going to go away. Came to the realization that God wasn't going to leave me alone. And at that moment I decided to say yes. And that's the first yes in a long line of yeses. It's one of the reasons I'm standing before you today is that I said, God, I'm willing to give my life to you. God, I'm willing to follow you. God, I'm willing to follow your path and say yes, even if it seems crazy, even if it seems like something I can't accomplish on my own, because the reality is I can't, I'm going to say yes. This morning, the book of Jonah. Jonah's seen in 2 Kings 14, verse 25, we see Jonah earlier in the text. And there Jonah is a prophet, and Jonah has given a prophetic prediction about a war that God's people were in. And due to Jonah's prophetic prediction, God's people win the battle. Jonah is seen as a war hero. Jonah is seen as someone who 
led the people to victory because he followed God. In this text, we're going to see God coming to Jonah again to give him another call and another message. But how he responds to this message is totally different than he did before. Jonah chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Jonah gets this message, arise and go to Nineveh. Nineveh is a city that was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. Nineveh is the place where the oppressors of God's people lived. It's one of those cities where you wouldn't want to go. The experience there may be something that might be dangerous. It may be an opportunity to go and to share a message with people who, in reality, Jonah and his people didn't like. So he's called to go and to go to Nineveh. And Jonah should have said, yes, God, here's my next yes in this step of yeses. But instead, verse 3, but Jonah rose and fled to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, and he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. If you look at the screen, there's going to be a map. And on our map on the screen, uh, we see that Nineveh's up in the top, and Tarshish is the opposite way. So Jonah is not just going not to Nineveh. He's going as far away from God as he can. And he goes to Joppa. Joppa is a port where people typically would transport uh, materials and different things. So essentially, Jonah is showing up and getting on the UPS boat headed to Tarshish. And as he gets on the UPS boat, you know, this is not a luxury liner. This is not a great traveling experience. He gets on the boat and goes off to Tarshish. He's hiding from God. You see in verse 3, the presence of the Lord is mentioned twice. Jonah is running from the presence of the Lord, and he thinks that the fact that he got on the UPS boat and wants to hide in the bottom of it, that somehow God missed the memo on this one. Verse 4, but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so the ship threatened to break up. God interrupts Jonah's plans immediately. We don't know how long he was on the boat before the storm came, but the storm came, and the boat was about to break up. Verse 5, then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. You've got a heck of a storm here. If you've got the people who lived their lives on the water in fear of the storm. And then they begin to cry out to their God. The concept of God we see in this text from the mariners is similar to an idea of a pantheon in Greek mythology. Where you would see different gods for different things. So if we need sun, we pray to the sun god. If we need rain, we pray to the rain god. If we need children, we pray to the fertility god. And we have all these different gods that you would pray to. So each is crying out to his god. They're almost making sure we didn't miss somebody. Because the reality of religion and the reality of the picture here is some god is obviously unhappy. And someone has obviously done something to set this God off. So we need to go and to find this God and to get him to chill out so we don't die. So each cry out to his God, second part of verse 5, and they hurled the cargo that was on the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. At this point, the three-month guarantee on the delivery ain't worth it anymore. So they're throwing everything off the ship into the water uh, because their lives are more valuable in the cargo that they are made to carry. 
And what's interesting is the rest of the verse, but Jonah had gone down in the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. The waves are rushing. The people who are on the ship are freaking out. They're throwing everything overboard, and Jonah is sleeping in the bottom of the ship. It's almost like he was hiding behind something. Maybe God won't see me if I'm back here. Hiding and sleeping. So the captain came to him, verse 6, and said, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise and call out to your God. Maybe your God is the God we're missing. That's the reason this is going the way it is. Perhaps your God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Then they said to one another, verse 7, Come, let us cast lots, so we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. And they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Casting lots is similar to something that we would do growing up. I have a little brother, and uh, there are certain times and certain situations where someone has to do something that no one wants to do. So we would, like, draw straws. And whoever got the shortest straw was the one who got the chore, that got the opportunity or the trouble came upon them. And so they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. And then they say to him, verse 8, Tell us whose account this evil's come upon us. What's your occupation? Where do you come from? What's your country? And what people are you from? It's like Jonah gets cornered and interrogated. It's obviously you. What have you done to cause this? And Jonah responds this way. He said to them, verse 9, I'm a Hebrew. I fear the Lord God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. It's Jonah's God. The God who controls the sea The God who made the sea and the dry land, the God who controls the storm, is Jonah's God. These transporters of the ship have found their man. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this you've done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he'd told them. And they said to him, what shall we do to you that this storm may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to him, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Jonah realizes it's him. Jonah realizes that if he gets out of the boat, everything stops. Yet the men don't like this answer. This God has been angered. This God is causing the the sea and the waves to go. And if we kill someone, we just may make this God even angrier. Verse 13, Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they asked the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not upon us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased to you. They prayed to make sure their bases were covered. Then they picked up Jonah and hurled him in the sea, and the sea stopped from its raging. Jonah goes over the boat, and the sea stops, which leads these men, verse 16, the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. They saw the power of God. The pagan people who are praying to pagan gods that they expect to help them see the power of the one true God. It's here where we have a temptation to sterilize Bible stories. We have a temptation to look at God's word and miss the horror of the moment. Jonah has been thrown over the ship. Jonah thinks he's going to die. Jonah thinks this is all over. And Alex, if you show the next picture, 
And the reality is, when it comes to children's toys, this is Jonah and the whale, right? We think about Jonah and the whale, and, you know, you can have your child practice the whale eating Jonah, and we don't seem that this is very scary at all, right? You can order this on Amazon if you want for your house. It would be a great toy for your child. And so we have, we have this, and, we've, and we look at this text, and we miss the gravity of it. The next image is on a stained glass, and um, this is a more scary-looking fish, obviously, and what I thought about this when I first pulled it up is, can you imagine going in the church, you know, with Liz and I got married a couple years ago, and going in a church to look and get married, and that be on the stained glass behind you? That makes for a real romantic moment. And what you see here is what you see here is this horrifying fish coming to eat Jonah. And the reality of it is if you get on Google, you can find more scary pictures than that of a fish eating Jonah. But I knew you had to sleep tonight, so we'll skip that. But what we see here is the Lord appoints this great fish, verse 17, to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the whale, of the fish, for three days and three nights. We typically think it's a whale. The text says fish. We don't really know. So you can go to a black screen, Alex. Thanks. Um, and so what you look at is in the idea of being in a whale. Um, if you do a little Google research, it will deter- It gives you great wisdom on how to survive the bad moments of life. So I Googled what to do when you're stuck in a fish. This is how youth pastors think. I'm sorry. And so one of the things you can do when you're stuck in a fish is you can open a sushi bar. You collect all the different fish that are raw and have it out and have a good snack for yourself. The other thing is to play with echoes. Hello, hello, hello. Is anyone there, there, there? Or you could do what Jonah did. Jonah comes to a point where he prays where he seeks God. And we don't know he's in the, well, in the fish three days and three nights. And the reality of this is we don't know when he prayed. Did Jonah pray immediately? Did it finally click for him? God is up to something and God might be trying to get my attention. Or did he sit there and pout for a while? There's these smells, there's this fish, those teeth look really big. What did he do there? He waited... And whatever time that was, and then he prayed and sought God. Chapter 2, verse 1, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. What's interesting about this prayer is commentators have two different views on this prayer. One is that it's Jonah's prayer from Jonah's heart in this moment. The other view is that this prayer is specific in that it mentions being in a place of trouble and needing the help of God. But it's not the prayer that I probably would have prayed. God, I've failed and I'm in this whale and I'm in a whale of a mess and I need your help to come and to save me and to rescue me. So what some people, some commentators have said is that this is a text of a prayer of a song. We think of music and prayers as the people of God that I know when I've had moments in my life when I felt like Jonah and the whale where I felt like I was lost and alone and helpless that God's ministered to me through music. God's ministered to me through prayers of others. God's ministered to me through the things that I've learned as a member of God's church and as a member of the community of faith. So whether this prayer is Jonah's prayer in this moment or whether this prayer is a prayer that's been prayed by God-fearers before Jonah, prayer is still a cry to God. 
Verse 2. He says this, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. Out of the belly of Sheol, there's a picture here of being in a place of death. Being in a place of being lost and utterly alone. And I'm crying out in the darkness. Yet God hears me. Verse 3, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. And all your waves and all your billows, they passed over me. Then I said, I'm driven away from my sight, yet I shall once again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life, and the deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head, and the roots of the mountains. And I went down to the land where the bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. Despite his situation, despite the fact that he feels lost and alone, despite the fact that he's failed and thinks he's gone too far, there's glimmers of hope in this text. Yet once again, I look upon the temple. Yet once again, God will hear my prayers. Yet once again, God will hear my voice. We go through difficult times. We find ourselves in these moments where we run from God and we've run to the point where we think it's too far. God meets us with his grace. You brought my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. We don't have faith, glimmers of faith, standing in this text. That's why it's great to have a Christian community around you to remind you that we can have faith, even in the darkest of moments and the darkest of times. Jonah's prayer continues, verse 7. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you in your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But with the voice of thanksgiving, I will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay, for salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation belongs to the Lord. In the midst of this moment, in the midst of feeling far from God, in the midst of running and running and running, salvation comes from God. And Jonah sees God's hand once again. God's hand has been seen in the storm. God's hand has been seen in the delivery of the fish to save him from drowning. Verse 10, the Lord's hand is seen again. And the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited out Jonah upon the dry land. Jonah's second chance begins. His opportunity to start over. His opportunity to once again take his no, which was an emphatic no of running in the opposite direction, and turn it into a yes. He gets a second chance. So what do we see as applications from today? First, we see this on the screen in your bulletin. We cannot hide from God. We cannot hide from God. We do this so often. We try this so often. But we're like the preschooler with our hands over our eyes, thinking that we somehow became invisible. We cannot hide from God. Second, we see that God faithfully pursues his children. God's pursuit is seen in this text in the storm, in the fish, and in the fish, placing Jonah back in a place of a second chance. God faithfully pursues his children. And last, God offers grace when we run from him. God offers grace when we run from him. And here's the reality. Jonah was not the only one 
to be in a place of darkness for three days. Jonah was not the only one to be in a place where he felt alone and away from the presence of God to be delivered from that moment. You see, Jonah, like all characters in the Bible, point to Jesus. Jesus came and lived the perfect life that we couldn't live. He died on the cross for our sins, for our moments where we run from God. And he died and was buried in a tomb. In Matthew 12, Jesus speaks of the sign of Jonah. That there is going to, he's talking about the signs of the times and what's going to happen. And he said that this generation will see the sign of Jonah, that Jesus is going to go into the grave for three days. And after three days, death cannot hold him. The grave cannot keep him. The king is rising from the dead. And we can have grace and we can have hope and we can have a second chance and we can be pursued by a gracious and loving God because Jesus took our place. Because Jesus took our sin, because Jesus took our death, because, and because Jesus came out of this place of darkness in the grave and offers us new life and offers us hope again. Because of Christ, we don't have to run anymore. And so today, I don't know where you are with God today. Maybe you're here and you go, Ben, I've never come to a place in my life where I've placed my faith in Jesus. When I've decided that I'm through running and trying to live life on my own, and I'm going to surrender and follow after Christ. Or maybe today you're like me, like I so often am, when God calls you to do something or tells you to take a step of faith or calls you to do something for him and the excuses start building up. Well, I'm not smart enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not religious enough. God, you don't understand. I have a busy schedule. God, you don't understand. If I was to step out and do something for you, people would look at me like there's something wrong with me and I would be weird. My encouragement to you is to say yes to Jesus. Whether that's for the first time or whether that's a a yes to continue to follow him as as he leads you. Because the Christian life is a life of yeses. God, I'll follow you wherever you go, wherever you call me to go. I'll do whatever you call me to do. So this morning, I don't know where you are. But if you're running from what God's calling you to do or you're running from a relationship with God, my encouragement to you is to come home. To come home and experience the great grace Jesus. Picks us up where we are. And he changes us and makes us people to go and make a difference for him and his kingdom. Let's pray. God, today, pray for each one of us in this room. God, that we would be people who live lives of yeses. Where we say yes to you and we follow after you wherever that leads. Where that leads us to go across the street and share Christ with our neighbor. Where that leads us to go in the mission field. Where that leads us to take stands as families, to be families who reorganize our lives around you. God, move in this place, move in this moment. God, for those who don't know you today, God, I pray that as you were pursuing them, God, that they would see your hand in their life and they would come to know you as Savior, Lord, and King. God, move in this time by your spirit. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.